You're listening to Lies and Half-Truths, tales written and performed by A.P. Weber. This is A.P. Weber. It's good to have you with me. We're continuing the adventures of Woodrow the Wicked with the 17th chapter of The Moonshadow. You can catch up on what I think is a fairly unique fantasy adventure story by listening to chapters 1 through 16 of The Moonshadow. Or jump in here and be lost. Your choice, really. But before we get started, as usual, I'd like to remind you to please consider rating and reviewing Lies and Half-Truths wherever you listen to it, or just tell a friend about the show. It helps a lot. Now for the recap. In the last episode, Woodrow and Cassandra were blackmailed by the conniving and mysterious Mr. Mulberry. He wants them to steal tribute money intended for the mercenary group known as the Bloodletters. Woodrow signed a contract affirming that he would do just that or else relinquish ownership of the Moonshadow to Mulberry. Their only hope is to reveal Mulberry's plot to the leader of the Bloodletters, but doing so will surely result in dark consequences. Things may yet spiral further out of control. Okay, yes, they definitely spiral further out of control. And now... Lies and Half-Truths presents The Moonshadow, first book of the adventures of Woodrow the Wicked. Part 4. The Coup Island Con. Chapter 17. Just before dusk, they arrived at the Greasy Tortoise, the saloon the Bloodletters had appropriated for their Coup Island base of operations. Empty casks of distilled Krongenut liquor were piled up on the boardwalk outside. Rowdy music and a chorus of slurred voices tumbled from the main entrance whenever the door opened. Smells bad on this side of town, said Cassandra. Woodrow shrugged. It's a slum. Smells bad everywhere. Agreed, but it smells especially bad here. It's bloodletter territory. What did you expect from mercenaries? I guess we should go in, she said, wrinkling her nose. You ready to do this? When Woodrow walked through the door, a drunken roar rose up from the crowd. There he is! cried a bright-cheeked man wearing his red sash as a headband. It's the kid! Someone else called out. Buy him a drink! Cassandra looked at Woodrow. Woodrow shrugged. I guess they're still pretty happy about winning the fight. And the guild girl! Buy her a drink too! Strong arms dragged them to the bar. Whatever they want, someone bellowed. The bartender eyed the pair with a cocked brow. We just want to see the boss, Woodrow shouted to him over the tumult. He's in a meeting, the bartender leaned over conspiratorially. With a Even better, said Cassandra. Where are they? Didn't you see the big ape? The bartender pointed at the upper landing, where either Jim or Dim leaned against the outside of a closed door. Woodrow nodded. Thanks, said Cassandra. They headed upstairs. 
What are you doing here? The ape said when he saw them approaching. I need to talk to your boss, said Cassandra. He's in a meeting. It's important. It always is. Look, monkey, we're pressed for time here. Mr. Elihu is going to want to hear what I have to say, and he's not going to be happy with whoever keeps me from getting this information to him. The ape's massive shoulders sagged. I have a name, you know, and it's not monkey. It's dim. And I'm an ape, not a monkey. So there. She didn't mean it, Woodrow consoled him. Tell him you're sorry, Cass. I'll tell him I'm sorry after he apologizes for wasting my time. Let us in, monkey, Woodrow sighed. She gets like this. Best just to do what she says, so she's out of your hair. Dim pointed a long finger at Cassandra and gave her a scolding look. You're mean, he said, and opened the door behind him. Ralu, rosy-cheeked and glassy-eyed, threw his arms out to his sides at the side of Woodrow and Cassandra. Well, if it isn't everyone's favorite new recruit, and that charming young lady from the guild, by all means, come in. We weren't discussing anything of importance. Just a small increase in the cost of our services. Like I said, nothing important. Alihu glanced at Cassandra and then turned away toward the window. The window looked out on a waterway behind the saloon. Outside, a water wheel paddle lurched by, dripping frothy seawater. Many of the structures in the slum had similar devices. At high tide, the ebb and flow would push them around and provided sporadic motivation to kitchen and laboratory mechanisms. For an instant, Woodrow had the peculiar notion that he could feel the gears turning somewhere behind the wall and beneath the floorboards, activating the toilet pumps and the bellows that fed air to the kitchen oven. He understood the whole structure of the mechanism all at once. It felt like bubbles popping in his skull. He shook his head and it was gone. All the same, Cassandra was saying. I'm sorry to interrupt your meeting, but I have some very important information to relay to you. Oh, said Ralu. What about? This concerns you as well, Mr. Elihu. My agents and I have uncovered a plot to steal this month's tribute payment. You and your agents, said Ralu. He sat down, crossed his legs, and slouched against the table beside him. You mean Mr. Babyface here? Yes. Woodrow and the Golem were moles for the Privateers Guild. As you can see, we have favored you in your dispute with the War Dogs and hope that you will come under our umbrella. Alihu turned halfway toward Cassandra, then stopped. He went back to watching the water wheel. Ralu's eyes narrowed. The red in his cheeks darkened a bit. That's very kind of the Privateers Guild. The blood letters are a breed apart. However, then consider our favor a gift, along with the details of the plot to steal the tribute money. If you change your mind, the offer still stands, but it won't stand forever. Ralu smiled a thin smile. Noted. And this plot? A bloodletter new recruit, who goes by the name of Mulberry, is in league with the War Dogs to steal this month's tribute payment. He enlisted my man Woodrow here to help him with the plot. Woodrow was able to prevail upon him to sign a contract outlining the details of the heist, a document that will serve as evidence against him. 
Ralu shot an eye at Elihu. How could he steal the payment? No one knows where the drop is until it happens. It's happening tonight, said Cassandra. Jim is making the drop as we speak. Isn't that right, Mr. Elihu? To the South Five Tunnel exit, if I'm not mistaken? Elihu looked at her with wide eyes. How did you know that? I think the more important question is, how did Mulberry know? Ralu stood. I'll send a detachment to find and arrest him, he said. This is a protection racket, after all. No, said Alihu. I'll send Dim. You wound me, Alihu. Don't you trust me? The two men looked at each other with mutual loathing until Cassandra cut in. I'm not done, she said. The rest of the plot is this. Tonight, in anticipation of the theft, your new war dog recruits plan to cut all your drunken throats. The men were silent for a moment. Fine, said Ralu. Have your monkey take care of Mulberry. It appears I have some house cleaning of my own to do. Alihu nodded. He called for Dim. I have a job for you, he said, and they left together. Ralu went out on the landing and bellowed the crowd into silence. Brothers! He roared. Kill every last war dog in our midst. Do it now. And that's when the chaos started. A moment earlier, a bloodletter had his arm around a former war dog while they croaked out some drunken tune. But the very second Ralu gave his order, swords were drawn, bottles were broken into makeshift knives, chairs were hurtled across the room. It wasn't a brawl that broke out, but a pitched battle. Ralu turned his back on the chaos, returned to his room, and poured himself a cup of liquor, leaving the two youngsters standing on the landing, overlooking the mayhem below. Woodrow saw Cassandra's face, but it was hard to read her expression. He reached out and touched her arm above the elbow. She started and pulled away. We better get out of here, she said. Maybe we should wait till the fight is settled, Woodrow suggested. A war dog with one good eye and an axe in his hand broke free from the fighting and made for the stairs to the second floor landing. Woodrow looked down at the red sash he was still wearing. On second thought, he said, and grabbed Cassandra by the arm. He pulled her back into the room just as the war dog made it to the top of the stairs. Inside, Ralu sat drinking. Get out. I want nothing more to do with you. They ignored him. Woodrow looked around for another door, somewhere to run to, somewhere to hide. He saw nothing except the open windows along the back wall and the water wheel paddles going by. He tugged on Cassandra's arm, and together they ran to the window. The war dog with the axe burst through the door behind them. You treacherous old bastard, he cried. Woodrow climbed onto the windowsill. Grab the next paddle, he said. Cassandra sat on the sill next to him. The war dog charged Ralu. Ralu rose to meet his adversary, a dagger in his hand. The paddle came up. Cassandra and Woodrow grasped hold of the edge, and it pulled them into the air with unexpected velocity. As it neared its zenith, they shimmied over and swung off onto the saloon's wood plank roof. How'd you know it would hold our weight? Cassandra said, brushing off. 
I don't know, he replied with a smirk. The same way you knew about the air pocket in that sunken ship we sheltered in, I guess. Cassandra nodded, but seemed in no mood for banter. She gestured at the drain pipe running down the side of the building. We can climb down that. When they reached the boardwalk below, they found that the battle had spilled out of the saloon onto the wooden thoroughfare. Woodrow pulled off his red sash and tossed it into the sea. This is madness, he said. Now they're killing each other in the streets. Cassandra gave him a glazed-over look. That was... that was the plan, she said. Her voice shook as she spoke. Innocent people are bound to get hurt if this continues, Woodrow said. I know, she shouted back with sudden vitriol. I didn't expect it to play out like this. You expected to be gone before the killing started, Woodrow said. What do you want me to say? Cassandra pleaded in a wounded voice. That it was a mistake? What do you want me to do? Woodrow lowered his goggles. There was no time to argue about the wisdom of the plan now. If it was a bad plan, it was a bad plan that he went along with. Now he had to act. He raised his left forearm. Through the goggles' lenses, he could see yellow light projections coming off his gauntlet. He pointed with his right hand at an icon representing Hartford. Cassandra watched him. What are you doing? She asked, unable to see what he could see. Calling Hartford. He'll get us to the moonshadow. We'll hunker down there until this blows over. He looked at Cassandra. Her eyes were following something above his head. He turned just in time to see a giant ape fly through the air and crash into a thatch-roofed hut a block or so away. Was that a giant ape? He said. I think so. What is going on? The answer came in the form of a pair of great raven-black wings with a pale, dark-haired figure between them. Woodrow whipped off his goggles. Mulberry? Cassandra's jaw fell slack. He's an angel? He was hiding his wings under his armor the whole time. I thought he had unusually broad shoulders. Cassandra grabbed hold of Woodrow's arm. We need to get out of here. Now! They ran. Woodrow glanced back. He saw Mulberry hovering above the smashed hut, holding the ape's limp body at arm's length. When he looked again, another dark, massive shape was hurtling through the air toward the angel. All three figures tumbled down together and crashed into the roof of another hut. Looks like the other ape just joined the fight, Woodrow said. They're going to destroy the whole shantytown at this rate. And then kill us, Cassandra said, dragging him along. We need our angel. Thanks for listening to Lies and Half-Truths. This episode was written and performed by A.P. Weber and produced by Meg Weber. Our theme was provided by Josiah Martins. Original music by Mackenzie Stubbert. As always, consider liking, sharing, or reviewing this podcast wherever you listen to it. You can also support me, A.P. Weber, on Patreon. In any case, please join us again next time for more Lies and Half-Truths. Half-Truths.